Dad the Man, the guy who's living life the right way by loving and leading his family. World class at his craft and admired by many, but more importantly, he sets the tone for what a great man, husband, and father looks like. That's who Dad the Man is. And the truth is, as men, husbands, and fathers, we experience and struggle with so many of the same things. And it's time we recognize that we're all in this together. So drop your ego at the door and join us in the conversation. Welcome to Dad the Man. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Brendan Wall, and I am the founder and host of the Dad the Man podcast. Now today, if you enjoy this episode, if, or if you are enjoying the show so far, please do me a huge favor and just tell one person about the show. Tell a friend, help us to push the mission of this show, help us to change families from the inside out. I cannot thank you enough for your support. So today's guest is none other than the Burt Soren. Burt is the president and co-owner of the legendary Sorenex Exercise Equipment, which was founded by his father, Richard Soren. Sorenex equipment can be found in college and professional weight rooms across the country and in the home gyms of icons like Joe Rogan, Jocko Willink, and Cam Haynes. Growing up with a barbell in his hand has been pivotal in charting the course of Burt's life, which led him to become a four-time Division I All-American in track and field in the hammer throw and the 35-pound weight throw. He's also a Southeastern Conference champion, a former record holder in the weight throw, and an Olympic trials athlete. Bert is an avid lifter with a passion for the outdoors and has proven to be a brilliant business owner as well. Bert has a real superpower to see the best in others, to truly see them not as they are, but as they are capable of being, which he uses in his seemingly endless pursuit to pour into his friends and employees, veterans, and countless others who follow him online, myself included. But above it all, Bert is an amazing man, husband, father, which is why I am so excited to have him on the show. So here's my conversation with the Bert Soren. All right, and we are live. Everybody, welcome to the Dad the Man podcast. Uh, now, today we have a very special guest. I am so excited to introduce to you uh, Bert Soren. And Bert, before I let you jump in, I just want to take a quick second to kind of acknowledge you and what you've accomplished in your family. You know, I think about I think about your dad starting Sorenex building a business literally with his own two hands in a garage from the ground up, you know, laying everything on the line to get it started. And then you having the opportunity as his only son to come in, run a business with him and, you know, take it over, take over the business that has the family name on the door and to absolutely just run away with it in the way that you have, uh, not just financially. I mean, from the outside looking in, it looks like you guys are absolutely, you know, having a lot of success. Um, but when I think about, you know, the way that you guys are bringing people with you, the way that you guys are building this culture, this community that is just so um, undeniably what it is. And I say that in the sense that it's so full of people that are so clearly rooted in the same set of core principles and values. You guys refer to it as people who live the code, um, which is really cool. <clears throat> and, um, you know, then I think about you as a, as the man of your house and, you know, having your kids, being able to watch dad be a guy, live his life with the sovereignty to do something that he loves for a living and also serve people, pour into people on a daily basis. I mean, man, the story of, of what you're, you have done to this point, your family from start to finish, it truly is unbelievable. So with all that being said, so pumped to have you on the show. Thank you for blessing us with your time. Uh, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you, Brandon. I, I appreciate it. And um, yeah, that uh, Thank you for the intro and the kind words. It's kind of, kind of hard to hear at times, you know? Um, yeah, <laughs> I, but I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll, we'll jump right in. Uh, like I was telling you, we'll do some, some kind of lighter hearted warm up questions and then we'll start digging in a little sure. bit deeper. So the first one, can you walk me through your, what your morning routine is? I've seen you on Instagram recently threatening right. to not eat breakfast. If you don't hit your strike, can you tell me a little <laughs> bit about that? Uh, yeah, I do it most mornings. I did it this morning as well. Um, so when I, when I'm on my routine and unfortunately I travel a lot. So my routine has been very haphazardly, uh, cause you can only get so much done. But what if I'm home and, and, and every, all, all the things are clicking and I'll take you through exactly. Um, uh, and really it, it's, 
because all of it I think is relevant in some regard. So I, I use a uh, what you call a Uller or a chili pad. I don't know if you're familiar with it. So it's yep. a pad that goes on top of your bed. So if you this is a this is a plug for those guys and we do sell them. So if you want to buy them, great. But I don't even if you don't buy them or don't buy them from us, I don't care. So bolts you to the bed makes you sleep. So for me, sleep is absolutely super important because I'm running so hot in so many ways. So I, I try to pack everything I possibly can to get as best quality sleep as possible. So I set my Uller pad at 65 degrees. So when you, you drop your core temperature, your body automatically releases hormones to help you sleep. So that's where everything starts for me is that is how good a sleep did I, did I get. I have an aura ring as well. So that tells me the first thing I do, I wake up, I check my sleep and I, I check my quantitative measurements of how do I feel right now? How's my back? How's my hip? How's my, how do I feel kind of a, a, a assessment of where I'm at? Then I check the qualitative, uh, you know, quantitative, I guess would be qualitative little, but I'll check my, my, my app, see where I am, how much sleep did I get? How much REM did I get? How much deep sleep did I get? And I make notes of that and go, okay, based on what I did last night, what I ate last night. So I do a, a systems check right away and go, how is my system running today? What is my readiness state? What is my HRV? What is my pulse? What is my breath, my breaths per minute? How recovered am I? And then so I can make adjustments throughout the day or adjustments for tomorrow because the main state I'm trying to get to is back to a parasympathetic state to recover because that's where I have to base everything off of. So go from there, 65 degrees, I crank it up immediately to 110. So my back and my posterior chain starts warming up. I've had back problems for the last 25 years from throwing and lifting and everything like that. I know if I warm up my body, I'll feel just better. So I'll go about 10 minutes in my, you know, start checking emails and start just kind of getting my head around the day. When I'm doing my best, I'll go right into a devotional reading. Um, but I'll be honest, that's I don't always do that as well as I should, but I will be honest, the better, the days I do it or the better days I'm, I'm working at my best. That gives you about 10 minutes, get up, put my shorts on, but you probably see why I have super small silky shorts because that's what I basically wear around the house. Um, and then, so I go straight there, big 16 ounce glass of water immediately, walk straight to the cave, and then I go into a, uh, a rocking slash crawling progression. I believe original strength uh, is who made it popular, but Chip Morton, a strength coach here at University of South Carolina, um, legendary strength coach. He's the assistant there now under Luke Day, who's another good friend of mine. Those two showed me that rocking progression. I'm going to be doing a video soon of what that entails. That's the first thing I do. Um, I mean, I'll even tell you, I put on, Shine On You Crazy Diamond by Pink Floyd is 13 minutes and 50 seconds, roughly. And my progression takes almost the exact amount of time. So I do it every day to the point where I'm trying to create a Pavlovian response, where even if I can't do it, I can listen to that song and it'll put me mentally and emotionally into that same recovery state as I'm growing out of that rocking progression. So I'm doing a lot of experiments, just psychologically, uh, emotionally, mentally, physically, so the first thing it is, you know, you're starting with your hands here, laying flat on the floor and deep breaths. And the whole progression is supposed to mimic how, when we were born, our progression from going from laying on our belly all the way up to walking. And so the progression takes about 13 minutes and it goes through just different, different exercises that, that kind of from laying to rolling, to moving, to dead bugs, to crawling, backwards forwards up to the point where i'm walking and doing cross lateral stuff that this tying the x together my my right shoulder to my left hip my left hip to my, my right hip to my left shoulder and tying the x and making my core and my hips work properly because again i, I did a sport for so many years that was an imbalanced sport so i try to tie everything together my body's working effectively it takes 13 minutes Usually at that point, I'll either go make my shot for the morning or sometimes if I'm still not very warm, I'll do 10 minutes on the assault bike. I'll crank another song and I'll just no special rhythm or, or speed, just getting blood flow. So I'm trying to get blood flow immediately to tune up the system. At that point, I do a lot of archery hunting and this season is coming up. So going back to my competition days, I learned that I had a, a 
poor experience of my 2000 Olympic trials where I was throwing. I know this is a long answer, but I'm just laying it out. So when I was throwing uh, in the trials, I showed up and never been to the trials before. I've been to nationals, but not the trials. Well, trials are different. They, I mean, the pressure is higher, the, the prize is bigger, but there's also, we would go to the warm up track. And so here's a backup. Sorry, I want Tarantino this story a little bit. So as you get better, I was a hammer thrower, Olympic, uh, you know, the Olympic hammers, kind of like a track and field event. You know what it yep. is? Google, it's pretty fun. So at the better you get, really, the more advantageous it is because at meets and competitions, as if you're the dude or one of the dudes there, like the better guys, the 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 the, the officials will say, "Hey, Bert, how many more warmups do you need? You good? You want another one? You know?" And so you're kind of known as a guy, and so you'll get preferential treatment. It's just how the world works at times. Mm-hmm. Well, you get used to getting as ready as you want to get. And then you're like, okay, good. I got that one out. That was a great throw. I'm ready for, let's go. Let's go into the competition. Yo, boys, ready? Let's go. Let's, you, know, you can kind of run the competition yourself as the athlete, which isn't necessarily great. It's just is what it is. Well, the Olympic trials, they don't care. You show up, you take two throws in order at the, at the track, at the, at the practice track. You get on a bus, you drive 20, 30 minutes to the facility you get there and you may or may not get another warm up, and you haven't done anything for maybe an hour. Maybe, you know, the hundred meter dash might be going. And so they just stop everything because they don't care about throwers. And you're just sitting in a little bus stop ready to throw. And they're like, Oh, by the way, soaring up. And, you know, and I totally melted down, you know, just right away caged it or whatever I did, you know, it was just like, okay, I'm not ready to compete when it's not, I'm not driving the competition. Right. So what I realized was looking back, you you have to be able to perform whenever the curtain comes up, not when you want it to come up. And so last year when I was hunting, I missed a a shot on a deer and it just kind of ate at me because I go, okay, it wasn't a distance that was too far, whatever. And I kind of started realizing it was like, well, I'd been in a tree for four and a half days and between seven and 15 degrees uh, for 12 hours a day. And when this very sizable buck showed up but you know i'd passed up deer the whole time and when the one i showed up that i wanted to harvest uh i didn't make the shot and i go well i can make that shot i said yeah i can make that shot in my backyard after shooting 10 or 15 warm-up shots and being ready for it and all this other stuff but at 8 52 in the morning when i've been in the woods for almost five days really my season comes down to one arrow one shot can you make the shot when it counts which is for life it's for i mean that that's really the true measure of a competitor and in many cases a man like can you do it when it counts not when you want it to be uh so i started thinking i said well i'm gonna wake up in the morning i'm gonna do something that moves me around just like i would and i'm not gonna take these easier shots i'm gonna pick a shot that i very well could miss based upon distance and i want to learn to trust my gear to pick up one arrow and walk outside and go to a distance that I have a high probability of missing, or at least a decent probability and focus for one shot, not think I'm going to take a 20 shot practice or whatever. No, I, this arrow it determines my success today and start Pavlovian response. Again, training myself to be focused for one arrow. And if I, if I make the shot, I get to eat breakfast and have coffee and go on about my day. If I don't, I drink water and I go to work. And I know it's not a big thing, but I'm, I'm a big breakfast guy. So for me, it was, it's breaking. Yeah, exactly. It's breaking <laughs> my, my, uh, my deal. And, and it's a reminder when I'm hungry at nine 30, cause I didn't have breakfast. I go, you didn't focus. You didn't close on the deal like you needed to. And so I wanted to put a little bit of stakes behind it. It's nothing big. People are like, Oh, great job. You missed breakfast. That's not the point. The point is to have something that makes me focus on on success and performance immediately during the day at my kind of worst state. I'm not a morning person. And then if I hit it at that distance, the next day I add a yard and the next day I add a yard. So there's an increasing difficulty as we go towards the season. And I realize I will start missing at a certain distance, but then that afternoon when I go to train, I'm going to hammer that distance and train and do my homework. So hopefully the next day I have a higher probability of success. And part of it is just what I call about building the the fortress. 
when I was a competitor, I would try to set up myself to have wins, as many wins as possible. And that was making a good choice in nutrition, a good choice in training, uh, maybe competing well or whatever it was. I was giving myself as many opportunities to succeed and not false success, but opportunities in realizing that's a success because I wanted to build a fortress in my mind as I went into competition that I thought of as a defensive or offensive fortress that told me like, you're a winner, you win stuff. You won 15 things yesterday. And then every time I got a win, I would literally build this fortress in my mind to this like impenetrable fortress that when we go into battle, like there's nothing that could penetrate this, this thing I've built. So let's say, so every time I hit that, you know, if it started at 60 yards and it was 61, 62, and every time I hit that shot, that's a fortress, that's a brick in that fortress. I'm like, you win, you know how to succeed, you know how to, to perform when the, when the, the, you know, the chips are down. And so I try to give myself early on in the, in the day as many chances to win as possible. So that builds my mindset going into the day. I've already had a number of wins, you know, winning begets, begets winning, you know, if you win, winners win, right? You know, so you start getting this good momentum in your day where you're rocking into the day. You're like, hey, man, I've already had water then, you know, so I, I do my shot. I'll, I'll kind of do that. I do my shot, go from there. I'll take a workout. Some days I, I work out. Some days I just do a bike and roll. So now I walk inside. I've, I've already, I've already, you know, hopefully done my spiritual stuff with the Lord. I've, I've done an assessment of where I am. I've challenged myself and hopefully I've won. I've warmed up myself. I've taken my physical components into, into place. I walk in, first thing I do, another 16 ounce glass of water, scoop of creatine, scoop of, of, uh, of amino acid complex from Thorn right away. And then, so I put something in my body right away. Then I hit the shower, come out of there, dressed, coffee, breakfast, play with the kids, kiss the wife, do the thing, and then I'm off. So like, that's kind of my deal. But if I could hit that, and I know my timestamps of like, I need to be doing this by 7.52. I need to be doing this by this time. And uh, for me, that works really well. But I try to take into account all of the components that are going to add to my success. You know, walking from my house to the cave where I shoot or being outside, I know I'm going to get sunlight. I'm going to see the horizon. I'm going to see the sky. I'm going to breathe fresh air. I'm going to do all these things. So I try to load all of that in to give myself as many possibilities of winning to when I get to work where the, it really matters. Mm -hmm. I'm ready to go. I'm, I've already, my, the, the pump is primed. I'm not like, well, let me go try to order Uber Eats or grab a donut from the so-and-so. It's like, no, nah, man, we're past all that. We, we knew exactly nutritionally what we, what we took in. Our supplementation is on point. You've already won this morning. You've already challenged yourself. You put, you put it on the line. You've already gotten there. And then, so then that just starts building a, a process. So I know that's a long-winded answer, but there's, it's because there's a lot of complexity behind the reasons, although it looks relatively simple. It's a hell of a morning. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, what I hear really stand out in that couple, couple takeaways that I hope other people will hear is number one, the intentionality that you've got behind every single thing that you are doing. You are out in front of, of every action, every step that you're taking. Like there's no, there's no, uh, there's no, you know, surprise tidal wave coming in on the side of your morning. Like you've got this thing by the horns and you're doing it, taking every step with intention. And number two, you really, I think the answer that you just gave is so rooted in a principle that I've been thinking about a lot recently. Um, and just more generally, I guess, as a man, husband, father in my family. And that's this idea of being unconditional in the way that I show up. So no matter what else is happening, no matter about, you know, basically just the idea of not letting the circumstances that we're in, like you were talking about, like when you stepped up to the, to the trial throw, like you, your name got called off the bus and you didn't have time to get your circumstances right. So it's right. this idea of like you were saying, like, am I going to be able to show up day in and day out when I'm, you know, after a long day at work and maybe I just got beat up at work, I come home, maybe I'm stressed out about a big bill and I come in and, um, you know, my kids are jumping all over me and smacking me in the face and being the little Tasmanian devils that they are like, how am I going to handle that? Like, am I ready to, to go and be dad? Or am I going to be stressed and push them to the side? So, you know, I think what you just spoke to a little bit really, really is rooted in that principle of 
trying to be as unconditional as you possibly can and tee yourself up to be that way. So um, that's, that's an, that's an awesome answer. Um, That's a good way of looking at the unconditionally. Yeah. That's because we want to love unconditionally, but we also want to perform. I mean, the best performers perform unconditionally, right? Right. The Michael Jordan's like has the flu and this and that. And you're like, Oh, but still he could win, you know, game six, like, yep. Gotcha. (laughs) He knows how to make that work. And I've always looked up to that performance level and I'm sure we all have to an extent, but it doesn't happen on accident, right? You you, you gotta like whiteboard it out. Like, what am I trying to accomplish? And what are the systems that accomplish that? Like, again, is my spiritual health and is my family intact? Is my, this, my, you go through and you, you see, you start seeing some, some uh, white space there. You're like, Oh, I'm not even touching that component until five o'clock at night or maybe not at all or maybe not every day and you know i've realized that if i'm not touching making something a priority earlier in the day it a lot a lot of times it gets shifted to the right to the point where eh, it's nine o'clock at night and you know do i need to train right now i know i need to but i don't want to train at nine o'clock if i'm trying to go to bed at 10 and so well i'm just going to bag it you know or i didn't go to do this with my my family or i didn't set my intentions here it's like the intentionality, and that's something I tell our guys here at Sorenice, like everything has to be intentional, whether it's a design, whether that's a, a sales tactic or whether that's a, a branding piece, it has to be intentional. There can't be any professionals don't do things on accident. They don't do things willy nilly or lackadaisically. So that's kind of how I try to run my life. Like Everything has an intent behind it. I'm going to do this for a a desired outcome that's somewhat predicted. And so there's not a lot of surprises unless I know there I want some surprises. Like if I want to go just walk in the woods and explore, then I know that I'm exploring, but I don't need to explore all day. I have things to do. (laughs) Like I I need an intentional uh, piece there. It's a real quick story. So the first time I got to Jocko's house, um, I thought it was so interesting knock on the door. He's like, Hey, come by for dinner. Cool. Knock on the door. And literally he opens the door and he, and he laughs. He goes, Hey, do you want to go down on the beach and set your intentions for the year? First thing he said to me, and here's what it was to the joke, because his, it was the day of the summer solstice, longest day of the year. Yep. And his kids were all late teens, early twenties were walking out the, out the door to go down to the beach, to set their intentions of the year on the longest day of the year. Like, his kids were like, yeah, we're going to go do this, dad. And he's like, right on. And he kind of joked. He's like, hey, you want to go with them and set your intentions? I was like, where am I right now? But it was interesting that it was so important in their family that they had a ritual of like, here's the day that we're going to go and figure out what are we attempting to really accomplish holistically and on the macro view in the next year. And to see him pouring in and talk about dad stuff, you're like, okay, you're working at a whole different level. <laughs> um, you know, and speaking of, of that, like, have you read his book, The Way of the Warrior Kid? I have not read that, no. Good. My kids are reading it right now. They love it. Like, for dads out there, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, it, he goes to that in that book, the Jocko Willink, if you don't know who I'm talking about. Yep. But yep. he has a uh, uh, Extreme Ownership is a great book that he, that he wrote. Most people, a lot of guys have read that. But honestly, he said, and I somewhat agree with him, probably his best books he wrote were The Way of the Warrior Kid. So really, if we could pour into those kids right now with, with that mindset, um, it, it's, it's really brilliant stuff. Yeah. Um, so thinking about that, you show up to, to Jocko's house and, and you hear him talking about just it's so evident what is important to him and how he has. I obviously led from as an example for his kids that they're going to go, they're going to go take their time and go do that on the beach. Are there any values, I guess, in your house right now or, or in your heart that you're working on instilling in, in your kids where, where they are now, you know, maybe something that's, that's a, a focus or a front and center these days. Uh, part of it is a little bit of, of, you know, my fear is that with success, I mean, it's kind of goes like, like the cycle, you know, hard times breed, hard men, hard men make good times, good times make, you know, soft men, soft men yep. make bad times. And, and my fear is that the more successful, whether it's financially or positionally or whatever, whatever, how you gauge success, that my kids will grow up soft. 
and I love them to death. And I, and I, I mean, they, they know there's no question. Do I love them? Do I tell them all the time, all the other stuff? Yes. But there's also the side of it. I'm like, unless we intentionally streamline hardship into their lives, just by proxy, they, they have a pretty amazing life. Like it's awesome. And I'm glad we're able to do that for them. And it's not, like I said, always about money and things like that, but like, they're able to do things in life that I never, I wasn't doing until I was 40 something years old. They're just doing it because they think that's what life is, which right. is great. But I also realize that at every level, they still need to have hardship. And that, that's how I kind of look at weightlifting. I look at weightlifting as streamlined hardship. It's a, it's okay. a very direct and efficient way to get to something hard. And that's why it works. That's why we do it, you know, and, and then basically it's like compressing life, all the hardships in life, like down to an hour and making it really freaking hard. Yep. And that hopefully hardens us to have been able to deal with work and deal with life. So, you know, they're become, they're at the age now where, you know, the lovey dovey stuff is starting to kind of wean out and it's like, okay, you know, you fell and you're crying. I get it. Now let's stand up. What is our plan from here? What is, you know, and because it sounds hard and I know some people are like, oh, that's not nearly as hard enough, but it, you know, it's hard. It's hard when you see your, your little babies that are little cutesies and they're little this and that, and you want to like, you know, love up on them and everything like that. But just realize like sometimes when they're crying and freaking out and yeah, you know, we call it the silent cry, which I kind of laugh about, you know, when they're really, really crying and then yeah. they don't even make noise, you know, there's no air left. There's just spit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I had to kind of put myself, I said, okay, unless it may sound hard, unless there's like a bone sticking out or they're bleeding or they're in imminent danger, I don't really care anymore. I'm kind of like, okay, cool. I, then I started saying, well, it's not that I don't care. I actually see this as like a heavy set of squats because squats are hard they're meant to be hard they suck while you're doing them but they you by doing them you become strong so it's like whatever we're going through right now in instead of seeing it's like oh this is terrible it's a pain in the butt that they're doing this and whatever it's like no this is a heavy set of squats he's going through right now emotionally and mentally how we come out of the other side of this is going to form him or her as a person and now like so the freak out is the workout you know, the freak mm -hmm. out we're having right now, right now is my chance. My chance to instill value and in how you deal with hardship is right now. It's not a let's stop them from crying as fast as possible and get them happy with a toy or something yep. like that. It's like, whoa, hold on. That's like cheating the set. That's like getting your partner to yank the yep. bar off. You're like, and no, let's go through this. Yeah. And that's not the point, right? Like I, I think about that oh. all the time. Like the point is not to get your kids to stop crying. It's to right. figure out what the problem is and help them learn through whatever whatever lesson may have been presented in the situation. Correct. And and to get them, yes, do I want them to start crying eventually? But I want them to to decide to stop crying because the stimulus has changed in their mind and their circumstance. They realize their circumstance, they could either control it or they could endure it versus let's change the circumstance to get them off the hot plate. Like, I don't know. Yeah, let's let's just hey, let's crank it up. Let's see what happens. Like because crap happens, right? I mean, I've had to go through <laughs> some extremely hard things in life and my dad has and every, everyone has, right? I mean, it's not new. It's just generally the more successful people deal with it the best. And yep. so that's kind of where my, I would say new focus is, but it's, I realize they're old enough where I'm not going to, you know, harm their little brains if I'm a little bit harder on them and, and just kind of like, hey, this is just how it is. We're doing this and suck it up you know like for instance yeah. like very very small like funny thing we were riding back from from uh, uh out of town the other day and the kids were in the back seat and it was way past their bedtime and we were, we just got started late there's traffic so we were still a couple hours out you know and the wife and i are like oh you know and she's like well we got to get them home i was like well we can't get them at home any faster like it's just what we're what we're with you know and then so i was in the passenger seat i was kind of just chilling and she's like, well, make up their, their beds back there. And I'm not trying to blow her up, but it was funny. She's like, make up, like, get him a pillow, you know, like there's one sitting like this and one's like this, you know, trying to like get comfortable. She's like, well, you know, help them out with that. And I'm like, no, no, like 
they'll sleep better if I make them a perfect little bed and nest them all in there where they're all like Tetris in there and all comfortable. But I'm like, they have to just realize the micro inconveniences of being in a squished in a back seat when you don't want to be there and you're tired and you're cranky and you're this and you're that. I'm like, they have the resources back there. They have random blankets and stuffed animals and other BS. Figure it out. Figure it out or don't. And yep. then just shut up and just be quiet and pass out eventually. Because I can think about it, I go, man, there's kids in India and China and like all these places with a zillion people are there. They're like sleeping on like the, the side of a truck going yep. through the back mountains. I'm like, okay, those kids are tough because their moms are like, hey, you got to kind of figure it out. Or like back in the Native American, they'd strap them to a board on their back. And those kids yep. would just roll with mom forever. I go, the more we, yeah help them their life will be easier and better but at some point it's just like no nah, man you, you if you could talk you're old enough to figure out how to solve your problems on the micro level right and the funny part was is like you know five minutes into it everyone was asleep they all looked like they were in a car wreck basically yeah. and they slept for two hours and they got back and of course we had a we had a meltdown when they we came home and they're like blah, blah, blah. and i was just like stop it stop it right now no more crying you know what you have to do to get to bed. Go. Here are your four things. Go. I set the tone, set the intention, and I wasn't going to, and I told, they were start crying. I said, if you're going to cry, go outside. Just, we're not playing that right now. Go outside. You know what you have to accomplish. And then they're like, oh, okay, cool. You're not going to let me get away with it. Good. So then I'll, I'll kind of comply. And I know it's like, hey, you're the best dad ever for doing it. No, it's, I hope everyone's doing those things. Sometimes it's just a reminder to me that I don't have to play that game. I don't have to play their game. They don't get to run this the scoreboard you know the right. kids like, it's better for them if you don't much better for them yep. much better for them but it's easy when you're especially it's not that i have the emotional like i got to make sure they're happy sometimes it's literally time and the intensity of the our pace of life that makes us do things for them because yep. i realize i could do it for them in 12 seconds and it'll take them 10 minutes and i don't <laughs> have the extra nine minutes and 48 seconds so I'm like, just, just, just go, you know, and then I'm like, okay, what did they really learn? And yeah, we're on time or whatever we are, but they just learned that dad's going to, dad's going to get pissed off and he's going to do it really fast. And all I have to do is comply. And I'm like, well, that doesn't teach them to solve problems. So I'm having to do that right now. That's kind of my focus to dad right now. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it seems to be to me such a forgotten purpose or, or lesson to be taught lesson to be focused on like as guys like we always I think everybody generally wants to be successful everybody wants to kind of carry on you know do better than the generation before and, and succeed and do well as if there's a gift to be given everybody says I want to do it for their family right so it's like we want to take this money so that our kids and our family can live this great life but not other understanding the other side of that sword that you just kind of outlined I think is it's oh. just, it's so criminally under, under talked about today. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm so glad that, uh, that you brought that up. It's huge. Yeah, I appreciate that. It, but, you know, and I have some other, a couple other friends that are, you know, getting a little bit more successful as well. And, and we kind of talk about it. You know, probably one of my biggest fears is my kids are going to be soft. Yep. You know, it just is because I'm not going to, you know, become more successful and buy a, a smaller crappier house like i'm not going right. to do that i'm not going to like buy less food i'm yeah. not i mean what what's kind of the point of working hard if you can't enjoy some of the spoils of it right or, or some of the you know the, you're reducing stressors how do you reduce stressors in life which is kind of the point of working hard while also keeping stressors in life and that, <laughs> that's where it kind of becomes this weird sword so you kind of have to have intentional stressors put into the system or the 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 fragility of the the not even your kids but yourself like that's yep. something that i worry about i go is is 44 year old bird as tough as 22 year old bird probably not some ways some ways mentally yeah because i've just been through more but i'm like okay would you can you do the things that you used to do just because that was what had to be done i'm like god i wouldn't want to have to do that again Right. You know, and part yeah. of that kind of that haunts me. I'm just like, okay, does that mean I'm backsliding? Does that mean I'm a less version than I was because of my success? I'm a, I'm a negative, you know, response to my success, and that's where, 
going and doing hard crap intentionally. So that's living the code, right? That's living the code because you realize that, you know, we are anti-fragile. We need to have stressors in our life to continue to grow. And to, to, I mean, even not to backslide, if anything else, and go, okay, so if I'm not intentionally doing that, and I, have you read the book Comfort Crisis? I haven't read it. By Michael Easter. Awesome book. Guys out there read. And it's actually Michael's coming here in two weeks uh, to do a story. And, and it basically talks about uh, these things called Masogis, which are, uh, I believe it was an ancient Japanese uh, theory or, or not theory, but a, an event. And so you basically challenge yourself with something that's 50-50 chance that you'll succeed. Number one rule is don't die because you, you know, that's, you're not trying to die over something dumb. But the idea do something that's really, really, really hard where you have to go to places that you don't know if you will make it. And so you, you learn about yourself and things like that. You know, a Masogi takes a lot of time, effort, and, you know, you got to set out some time to do it. But like, so I try to like incorporate many Masogis a lot during the day and, and during the week and stuff like that, because I don't want to get soft. I know what it took me to be successful and it wasn't being soft. Yep. The bad part is, is when you become successful, softness kind of naturally comes with it. But that's where you look at, you know, some of my friends that are very, very successful that are just obsessed with still being hard. Joe Rogan, Jocko Willink, you know, John Dudley, Cameron Haynes, like guys like that. And I'm like, okay, these dudes have success like crazy. And they're still the hardest working guys. I know they just crush themselves constantly because they're terrified of being soft and backsliding. You know, you figure Rogan, you know, Rogan, what he did a hundred million with Spotify. Yeah. That guy could clock it in and just be like, I'm done, Yep. you know, but literally the first thing he does is buy a badass weight room <laughs> and sets up a, a fighting room at his house. And is like, yeah, pretty much just training all the time now. Yeah. And of course he works his ass off in other ways too, but you're like, okay, you're, you're intentionally making your life hard because that's what got you to this place. Yeah. And, and that so, ties in so well. I mean, back to like what you were talking about with your morning routine, just intentionally putting yourself in a position to potentially fail. And mm -hmm. then that I think ties so well into the lessons that you're teaching with your kids. Like I know my parents did that with me. I grew up and I was so fortunate, like picture perfect childhood. Mm -hmm. And so I know my parents had to deal with this being very intentional about putting me in positions where I could fail. Um, and that was, that was sports for us. Like my dad always had me playing basketball and the lesson was always, you know, like, if, you know, if you win, you win, if you lose, you lose, how are you going to respond when you lose? You're going to hate it, but don't sit there and cry about it. We're going to, we're going to get better through it. We're going to work through it and come back tomorrow and try to win. And, uh, and gratitude was another big piece of that as well. Like I remember growing up, my parents always had me working in like habitat for humanity stuff like that so like you know man i was like never had to worry about a meal had every opportunity i could ever ask for but you know on saturdays we go down and you'd help build houses for you know less awesome. than people who literally don't have homes and i'm sit sitting there watching them sit there watch us build them a house and they're just bawling crying and you know just just the whole scene so gratitude was wow. a big part of that for for me and my childhood and my parents and that's something i'm definitely you know, working on uh, with my kids as well. But then just to keep that train rolling, it makes me think about what you were saying about exposing ourselves to hard things, not just from a standpoint of, I guess, not being soft, but that really being like a path to happiness and fulfillment. Like I think about, um, I don't know if you've read Wild at Heart by John Eldridge, just absolutely phenomenal One of book. My favorite books. I gave it Dude. to, I bought that book and gave it to all my groomsmen in my, in my wedding 11 years ago incredible incredible Great. i read it this past year and it just i probably read it 10 times since i it's like the only book i've really read yeah. in the last like year and a half but at the end of that book i think it's chapter 11 he talks about how uh life isn't like a problem to be solved it's a um it's an adventure to live so it's not like every, yeah. i think everybody thinks that life is this game of finding comfort like you're talking about with comfort crisis mm -hmm. but really we're only going to be happy if we're exposed to these challenges and can stack these these wins throughout our day like you were saying like doing the hard things the right way i mean that's yeah. to me that's what it's all about yeah you're exactly right and kind of going back to that comfort crisis book they call that comfort creep which means as you know as you're more successful or enjoy more you know niceties in life like you're, you have a comfort creep, which is a great it's it, 
your barometer for what comfort or happiness is keeps sliding. For instance, let's say, I mean, let's say you've been in the mountains for five days without eating and someone takes you to McDonald's and gives you a warm, not even hot, but warm quarter pounder. That'd be probably the best thing you feel like you've ever eaten. You're, it's a pretty low quality thing, but because of your lack of comfort, that would be an amazing experience eating fries or whatever it is. Whereas if you've been successful for a long time and you live in a urban environment where you get whatever you want and you know, everything's easy, you go out to Ruth Chris steakhouse and your steak is overcooked. You're like, ah, I can't believe this. Like, come on, like medium, come on. Where's the medium where you overcooked this, you know, or, or you have the possibility. I'm not saying you yep. would do it, but yep. it's things happen. Right. Right. And it just talks about how the literally our happiness decreases. Not only are, does our capability decrease, but our happiness decreases the more comfortable we are. And it's exact opposite of what you think. It's like, got this nice house, got this, got that. It's like, well, then why are really, really rich people, like a lot of them are depressed because they've gotten to the point where there's no fight anymore. There's, there's no, nothing matters. Like a friend of mine, uh, his, a friend of mine, he, when he raised his son, like the guy loved his son, loved him, loved him, loved him, but he did everything for him. He cleaned his room. He did this. He did that. The kid would get bad grades or have to stay after school. He'd go pick them up. My dad was like, whoa, hold on. Regardless of what the guy does, the kid does, nothing changes. He's good. He gets the same stuff. He's bad. He gets the same stuff. He's, you know, dad's like, shoot, if he, my kid had to stay after school, he'd be walking his butt home. Figure that crap out. You know, why are you still going to picking him up? What's the deal there? You know, and, and the interesting part was, the kid grew up, graduated high school, and had about a 15-year rough patch that he just didn't figure out life for a while. Yeah. And, and I look back and go, part of that was really his his comfort, his comfort creep had occurred where things didn't matter anymore. Yep. The, the result was going to be the same whether he did well or did. So the human condition is, well, why do I try harder when there's no reason to try harder? I'm going to get get fed or get paid regardless. And uh, that's something that, you know, I mean, that goes into whole <laughs> geopolitical discussion <laughs> and economic discussion as well. But, um, you know, that's where I think people need to, you know, challenge your, yourself and go do hard stuff and get uncomfortable sometimes just for the pure fact of when you come out of it, it's interesting. You know, um, again, not to go to a million stories, you know, Laura Zara. I don't know. So, so Laura is a friend of mine. Uh, she's been on Naked and Afraid like five or six times and she like just walks through it like it's no big deal because she's just like she's like the toughest person on earth basically. <laughs> yeah. she literally has the highest uh, personal survival rating score ever of on that show and she wow. just does it every time wow and um so one the first night we hung out I, we were i was at vegas in the shot show and someone was like you need to meet laura so we went out and hung out and we're walking it's like 50 degrees and windy out on the vegas strip we're walking down the street and i had a jacket she had a tank top on i was like hey you know you want my jacket, you know, trying to be a gentleman, like help mm -hmm. someone out because I'm figuring I'm bigger, I'm hotter anyway. And like, I'll, I'll survive easier. And she, she was like, no, I like being uncomfortable. <laughs> like when's the last time a girl was like, no, That's I'm beautiful. Cold, obviously she's like, yeah, she goes, I kind of like being uncomfortable because the stuff I like doing in life, I'm usually really uncomfortable and I don't want to lose that edge. That's so like, wow. And then, so part of me after that was like, you know, sometimes going like, Hey, it's 40 degrees and raining right now. I'm going to go for a walk. Society tells us to stay inside or bring an umbrella. Make sure you bring an umbrella. Make sure you bring rain gear. Make sure, and I go, finally, you go, I'm not going to die if I go yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah. Am it's I going to die? Suck. No. Right. It's going to suck, but I'm not going to die. But if I do, if I go do that, I will be more tolerant to cold, more tolerant to things that suck. And I'll come away with it with a win. When I walk inside, a warm shower is going to feel amazing. A dry towel is going to feel amazing. Whereas you normally, pull that creep back, like you were creep, talking about reverse the creep, right? And so that's where like ice baths and you know hot, cold, and all those those different stimuli that we have access to are do a do a, a twenty four hour fast. Man, that first meal is going to taste amazing. 
And so that's where I kind of like to challenge people. Like just those are those little things. You don't have to have extra money to do it. Like, oh, I don't have an ice bath. I don't know. If it gets cold, walk outside for a while. Take a cold shower. Take a cold shower. Your 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 shower will get cold, I guarantee you. <laughs> you know, and so that's the stuff that I think people could do a lot more and teach your kids to do it. And don't make them do it, but like. Hey, check this out. Daddy's doing this right now. They're like, uh, maybe they won't dig it. Like, come on, let's try this out. And then they feel kind of hard and kind of cool. Yep. And um, those are just some things. But yeah, so I thought that was so cool about Laura's era. And I, and I asked her one day, I said, how was it about, I said, do you ever like when you get super cold when you're out? Because she'll go out like a couple of weeks at a time solos in Montana in the back country and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And she's like, yeah. I said, what about like when you get really cold or you get whatever? And she's like, no, I just have a flow chart in my head. And I'm like, okay, keep going. <laughs> and it was just so wild. Like this, the mental toughness was off the chart. She's like, I have a flow chart. I, I go, will the sensation I have currently, what does it do to? And then, then I figure that out. And then I go, will it kill me? Yes, no. And the yes could be immediately or in x number of minutes and then mm -hmm. i just determine if it's a yes it will soon i change that immediately or if it is it will in two hours i put into practice the things that will will cut that off and if it comes out as no and it is just sucks she goes i pack it up in a little box and i put it under the bed in my head and i don't think about it anymore wow done and you're like that's powerful so that's just how you do it She's like, well yeah She's like, if it's not going to kill me, why am I taking up brain space with it anymore? Let me just move on and go do the things I want to do. And this is a girl that I've seen literally go into Montana with a backpack, a pair of leggings, um, a sweatshirt, a bivy sack, a couple pounds of butter, a bag of granola, and a knife. That's it for weeks. That's insane. insane. Unbelievable unbelievable and she's like i'm barefoot most of the time because i just don't like shoes and if i get cold i'll put the leggings on like like yoga pants yeah yeah you know, like <laughs> and all this stuff and you're like okay so you how do you not die she's like well if i'm cold i'll just move faster until i warm up and then i get to a place where i could jump in my bivy sack and strip off my clothes and i'll roll roll a stick of butter and uh in granola and i'll eat it like a candy bar because it'll burn hot in my system but the granola will keep me from going into ketosis so i won't lose weight and then i'll just sleep until i warm up <laughs> i'm like that's the plan huh she's like yeah it's cool like you are extremely more tougher than i am different you know? breed of human right there different breed of human oh, but those so are cool. the people that is so fun to be around because you're yes. like, oh, you just changed the paradigm of this whole thing yeah like i'm thinking about little piddly stuff and you're you know i'm not even playing checkers and you're not even playing chess it's some other game you're playing which you're like oh cool so like that's how that works huh yeah so that's that's cool to see because it's it's so clearly a, a, i guess like a common denominator between all the successful people like the people that you just uh you know rattled off and mentioned before so as we as we move towards the the second half or the the back end of the show. second question <laughs> I want to I want to ask you specifically about a couple of people that I know are important to you in your life. And uh, these will these will be the last couple of questions that we that we run through here. Um, first, I want you to talk to us a little bit about your wife. Talk to us a little bit about maybe the role that she plays in your family and, uh, and maybe how you support her in her role. Yeah, my wife, Leslie, is absolutely awesome. She is total game changer. And I mean, she made me a better man. She challenged me to be a better man. I was very self-centered, selfish of my endeavors. And I still, I still have some of that in there for sure. I, I'm very driven and I know what I want. And sometimes I forget that what I want isn't always what's necessarily the best for the family. Um, so she helps balance that out, but gracefully balance that out. And, you know, give me other challenges to help me be the man that I need to be, but then also to be the leader within our family and holds me accountable for that. Yep. And that's huge. And she's, she's never like nagging or bitching or anything that you kind of hear about. She's fantastic. Uh, she supports me and we get to have these good conversations. She's also a, a, a Christian counselor. So cool. she knows how to talk and knows how to dig. And so sometimes we'll just go in the front porch and just sit and just, 
you know, very often that's one of my favorite things to do, just sit there in the morning and have a cup of coffee and just kind of talk about what's going on in life and how do we, you know, get better or where are we falling short? And, and, and so she's an absolute rock star. I mean, anything that I'm doing, she's the reason why I could do it because she takes the brunt of a lot of other stuff. Um, and we have a rule, like our number one rule is, I don't know, you maybe heard me say it before, but rule number one is know my heart. And that means in our house, that means know my heart and my heart is, has been since the day we got married was I will not intentionally screw you over. And that's a big thing that I think people, if they adopt that theory with their loved ones, um, and it's very simple. That means like, if, if I do something that seems egregious or offensive, if rule number one is held to be true, i.e., you know my heart, I'm not intentionally screwing you over. That means I'm either doing it through ignorance, which needs to then just be educated, or I'm doing it just by oversight or by accident. Mm -hmm. And the same goes with her. So if she, whatever, you know, I'm not getting into marital things, how things work, but if once you start believing the other person's intentionally trying to harm you maliciously, or do something to get under your skin or play those games, then you start going, oh, we're playing games now. Now the whole thing shifts, the value shift, the economy of everything shifts. And now where it's a me versus you type scenario yep. versus, hey, you know, I'm never going to intentionally screw you over. I believe the same of you. Now, everything after that is solvable. Everything. Because we go, ah, I didn't mean to do that. I'm just an idiot sometimes, but I can admit I'm an idiot sometimes. And we go from there. So we've been able to keep that going for 11 years, which has just been absolutely awesome because, you know, everyone has their bad days. They have their, you know, their, their days are a little bit, you know, uh, snarky or whatever it is, but it's like, okay, there's a reason for this. It's not because they're just tired of me, don't like me and trying to make me feel bad. Because then that's an attack. And, you know, I've said it before. I was like, I'd rather you you accidentally break my nose than swing and miss. You know, <laughs> it's a great it, analogy. Really, yeah. You know, I just kind of go like, hey, I get it. You, mistakes happen. But if you swung at me, whether you missed or not, it's on. Because yeah. now I know your intention. Different game. And different thing. And so long as we always keep our intentions pure to one another and believe that I believe that she's never trying to to mess mess with me and and that's where i i kind of tell people like you know how you cue people or how you title people if you call someone a thief long enough they will eventually steal from you because why wouldn't they yep. they're gonna have to wear the moniker of a thief might as well get your stuff too yep. or, you know so <laughs> and so you look at just the human nature of it so i choose to trust people as best i can or i just remove myself from their realm or their existence if i don't trust them you won't see me around them because i don't want to be around people i can't trust and believe in the best of what they could be and so i've learned if i believe in like i'll see someone's potential and treat them to their potential many people will rise to that expectation and potential if they're believe that they could be something and that's a lesson from your dad right see things yeah. not as they are but what they could be what they could be as same with people. Right. And that's how I think in some ways we've been able to help a lot of people in our community because we don't look at them by their necessarily their past transgressions or where they currently are. It's like, wow, this person's a diamond in the rough. They just, maybe they don't even see it. And how do we pour into that person yep. in that level? Because sometimes that's all it takes is someone to go, wow. Yeah. Okay. You, you think I'm this? And I go, I think you're that start being that. Cause like you're at the door of that right now. Yeah. And you know, that's where I think people, again, not to ramble, but there's history is so easy. I want to say easy to change, but trajectory is somewhat easy to change. Like mm -hmm. you could be an a-hole, like a complete ass literally until you decide not to be And one second later, you could stop doing that. Like, you know, I even said like, hey, you know, let's just use a hot topic, racism. Okay, what if there's a person that's racist? They don't always have to be. If they're educated and change their mind, 
10 minutes later, they cannot be one if, if they've changed their heart because that, and, and I, I use that term because that's a very egregious thing. Yep. But that's the thing. It's like, because if we can't, if we can't change, what's the point in all of this? Right. What's the point? There is no, if there is no redemption and no ability to change, what is the point in trying? What is the point in, in, in challenging ourselves, trying to excel in all of this? So if we don't give the people the opportunity to change and don't give them the, the belief that they can change and always hold them imprisoned in, in what they did five years ago, yep. you got to pay attention and go, hey, I know this person has this capacity to do this, but I'm going to treat them as they don't as long as they're doing the things there. And so that's where I think like, as a, as a person, we just have to all realize like we could get better. And even if you're unsuccessful at this point, that doesn't mean 10 minutes from now, you can't be successful. So just keep pushing, keep trying it, keep going and, and believe yourself as that type of person and keep pushing. And eventually things will generally change, but you have to believe it's possible. No doubt. And I, I take that principle as something I do with, with my kids every night. So my wife and I usually split up. We got two little boys and I'll do, you know, one of their bedtimes, she'll do the other. And, uh, when I, like every night we do read a book, we do, we sing a song we say a prayer. And every yeah. night when I say their prayers, I, you know, we have a normal like prayer, like we would saying, thank you for everything that we've got, you know, all this stuff. And then something that I always do is I speak some truth into them. Like I want to say a special prayer for my little man, Brooks, you're respectful, you're kind, you're a wild man. You're all, you know, you're all this and God made you this way. And I say that so that, you know, from two years on, two years old on, he's going to have that track in his head. Like I'm this, I'm the, like, I've got this, this is who yeah. I'm going to live up to be not, Hey, today was a tough day. I'm not going to be like, Hey buddy, you were kind of a little shit today. Like try to right. keep that language off the table, which I think does creep a lot of times. Um, no so that's, I, I'm I made that mistake. That I've made that mistake. Hey, we all have, this, we all this, have this, this, this. And you're like, well, you're going to, you're good. I mean, I, I had my, my daughter not too long ago. She was, she's difficult at times. And she was just sitting on the front porch with her head down. And then we're like, what's going on? She's like, I'm a bad girl, you know? And I'm like, okay, you didn't come up with that. You're internalizing what we've said. And that's a, that's a, that's a loss. I have to chalk that as a loss. I yep. screwed up. We screwed up on that one. And how do we recalibrate that through different correction, different, you know, and I have an uphill battle with that. Now she's still young enough. That's doable, but it's like, mm -hmm. wow, that's crept in there. I, I, I've done that wrong. I need to fix that. And how do I fix that? Um, but you're exactly right. I need to speak into her, what I expect her, she is and what I know she could be versus what her actions are dictating. She is right now. Yep. And the mark of a great parent, like you're alluding to, I mean, you're, you're aware of it you're in the game enough to see it and recognize it. And like, I mean, that's, to me, that's half the battle is being in the game enough to actually, like, there's a lot of bad parents that would hear that and just keep on, keep on trucking, go on to work and never think about it again. But the fact that you're in the game and that's part of what this podcast is all about is encouraging men to just wake up, like look around what's going on within the four walls of your own home. Like, let's get this right. thing squared up. Yeah. Um, and my wife is really the one that kind of like tied that in and going back to like, the, you know, you're, you're in a team we, as men and as fathers, we're in a team with our wife and, and we're running the business of our family and there needs to be business meetings and after action reports. And like, yep. when things happen, you need to, you know, go out on the back porch with a glass of water or a wine or something and go, all right, I saw how we handle that. Yeah. You're kind of hard on that. And, you know, there's sometimes like my three kids are different, like my little bear, my Kodiak, my little guy, you know, he is, he doesn't have an ill intent, but he has a real tender heart and I could break him unknowingly. Now my, my oldest is hard as nails. And I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a tender kid in some ways, but he's just tough. And, and I've, I've corrected him enough times he could take it. Mm -hmm. And Kodiak, I tell him, you know, he disappointed me or did something wrong. And that guy will ball cry for 10 straight minutes uncontrollably i'm like oh gosh where are we at with this now you know and my daughter just like looks at me you know and so i yeah. you have to realize that the differences of who who kids are and how do you effectively communicate with them and it's it's not easy but you like you said you have to be plugged in to do it or or you'll you'll paint it with a broad stroke and you might hit one but you you're probably gonna miss the other ones right 
Um, now I know we're, I know we're running over on time. I have one last question that I want to ask you. Um, this is before we, before we really wrap it up. So, you know, sure. thinking about your role as, as dad, I, I always say, you know, like one day our kids are going to grow up. We're, you know, we're going to grow old. We're going to leave this life and we're going to look back on, you know, the, the legacy that we've left for our kids. And I, I believe that a true legacy is, you know, the moments and memories that we leave our kids with the lessons, the principles that we've instilled in them and the things that they remember about us and carry with them throughout their lives. So right. if, if I pose that question to you, put you in that position, what do you want your kids to, to remember about their dad? Um, what I want them to remember and what I fear they won't as much as I want them to is that I was present. And because I'm really good at multitasking and that's a problem I have is always being present. And because I have 50 plates up in the air and everyone does, it's not, mm -hmm. it's just, just me. It's not just you, but I have a problem at times because I always think I could get one more thing done. I always, let me, let me knock this one out of the air and then I'll rest and then I'll be mm -hmm. present. Uh, this text is going to, yeah, let me just hit this guy real quick. Uh, yeah, cool. Let me just hit this, you know, or whatever it may be. Um, and that's where I feel I fail. I, I'm not as present as I as I could and should be. And that's something I'm intentionally working on. Uh, but that's just really hard. It's hard when you're a hard charger that is trying to succeed and grow and still grow yourself. You know, I don't I'm, I'm not done cooking yet either. And so I still have challenges for myself as well as my family. And sometimes I put myself and my challenges that I want in my self growth in front of theirs unknowingly because I think, okay, this is making my family better or whatever it may be. And my fear is that I'm not present enough with them constantly. And my wife goes, no, no, you do a great job. And I go, okay, thanks. But, you know, I think I could do better because I, I don't want, you know, my kids to, you know, look back and go, gosh, daddy was working a lot or daddy, lifted a lot of weights or went hunting or hung out with cool people or I remember all these people being in our house, but you know, when did we go do a thing? And so that's what I try to try to do more of, but I'm not very good at it. I don't think any of us are naturally. I mean, of all the people I've spoken to, I mean, that's probably the number one thing that comes yeah. up is the, you know, the thing that we struggle with is as men, husbands and fathers, it's this, this constant battle of doing things for our family, but, also recognizing that the other side of that is sometimes it comes at the expense of the family and just figuring out the art of balancing that is, I think it's an endless endeavor, but being aware of it as we walk through it really is the most, and to tie back to what we've been talking about this whole time, being intentional with it, like being yeah. intentional with every single step along the way, I think is for me, at least has right. allowed me to find some success in it. Some success, I think, is about all we could hope for because there, you said there is a balance. There's only so many minutes in the day. There's only so much energy you even have. And, um, you know, I want to create a great life for my family and great opportunity. Um, and, and sometimes that, that ebbs and flows with the, you know, I do like the fact that my kids don't know that if we're successful or not. Like they don't even know what that means, you know, which, yeah. is, which is really cool. Um, and they don't care. Right. But that I always right. have to remember that too. It's like, okay, they don't <laughs> care. Like we could sit in the backyard and count ladybugs mm -hmm. and they'd have a great time. Like yeah. I don't have to try to build a crazy pool or do something like whatever, like literally they're, they're pretty pumped as long as I'm just hanging out with them. Yeah. And it's so, like, it's like the old joke that kids always enjoy the box that the present comes in more than the present itself. Sure. So exactly. And, 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 uh, cup of coffee with my wife is like, you know, and reading devotionals, the favorite thing that we do. And I don't need to go to a $200 dinner or something crazy like that to like us to have a special time. And so remembering of that, remembering that, but also realizing that the world's economy um, isn't necessarily accurate. Right. So. Yep. Beautiful. Awesome stuff. Well, uh, Bert, where can uh, people find you? I know Everybody who listens to this sure. is going to want want to learn more about you. Where can they oh, find geez. you? Uh, uh, you can follow me on IG, um, Bert Soren, B-E-R-T-S-O-R-I-N. Uh, I do a bunch of 
dump the stuff on there. Uh, Sorenex is our company. That's kind of what kind of fuels and makes this whole thing work. You can follow that on IG or Sorenex.com if you're looking for some gear. Um, Sorenex Outdoors is kind of a, of a new endeavor that we're tying in the strength and human performance side into the outdoor world. If you're big on uh, squatting and, and lifting and, you know, Sorenex Squattober is something that we do every year during October, the world's largest squat party. So for 30 days of doing something hard. So it's almost a Masogi in that regard. There we go. Um, that's something fun to do because it's it, it challenges you and tests you and and uh, 30 days of doing hard stuff and you get to reap the benefits on the backside of that. So those are a couple ways uh, that you can check us out. And um, I appreciate all the support. I mean, it's it's a labor of love and, and we couldn't do it without people that live the code. Awesome. Well, uh, well, thanks again for, for all of your time this morning. I know we ran a little bit over. I apologize, but thank you so much awesome. for, for giving us your time. Uh, so much respect for you, for your family, for the family business, Sorenex, for everything that you guys have going on, everything that you guys do. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brent. Uh, I, I really to talk appreciate to you soon. it. It was a lot of fun talking with you and you're doing an awesome job on, on uh, the mission here and getting to talk with you about being a dad and that, that uh, recalibrates me. So thank you. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Thanks again, Brian. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks, Brendan. All right, everybody. That's it. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, do me a huge favor and subscribe to the show or leave us a rating and review. We can't thank you enough for your support. Until next time, remember to love and lead from the front. See you.